origins. I was supposed to press the red button twice. I think I did that. Uh, so thank you, thank you for letting me come and share this morning. I am the uh, president and CEO of Miracle Hill Ministries. Some of y'all will remember a infomercial from the 80s called Hair Club for Men. Do you guys remember Hair Club for Men? Well, they used to have a saying at the end of those infomercials, and the guy would say, I'm not only the president and CEO, but I'm also a client. And that's my story. So I came in the front door of a rescue mission with a trash bag full of clothes and a heroin addiction. And uh, man, we serve a big God, right? So some years later, here I am getting to share his word and talk about how good he is. I also have a connection to this neighborhood that uh, I was telling Stephen about before uh, this morning. So in, I think, 1984, uh, my family was transferred from New Jersey down to South Carolina for my dad to work at the J.P. Stephen Dunning plant. So we lived in Malden, and my dad worked over here in this neighborhood. And I'll be honest with you, uh, this neighborhood brought fear to me because the only time I ever came over here was when I was in a lot of trouble <laughs> and I had to come see my dad at work. Uh, but I'm, I'm grateful to be here today to talk a little bit about Miracle Hill and a lot about Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, well, let's jump in and let me tell you a little bit about Miracle Hill. So Miracle Hill, we're the largest provider of services to the homeless in the upstate of South Carolina. We're a gospel-focused, compassionate ministry that on any given night serves about 600 individuals in residential care. Uh, we also partner with a lot of families in foster care. When the, the weather turns cold, as it is this coming up week, we open up our doors and we don't turn anyone away, which can easily increase our numbers uh, by a couple hundred as people come in off the streets. Uh, in foster care, you know, we have about 150 children in, uh, in care on any given night, but the state of South Carolina is still 2,300 families short of having enough families to serve every child in need of foster care. Let me give you guys a statistic that I think is shocking. If every church in South Carolina would foster or adopt one more child, there would cease to be a need in the state. There's more churches in South Carolina than there are kids in need. Doesn't it seem like something that we should do as the Big C Church? Um, we work each day from a position of compassion, providing food and shelter similar to what Jesus did. And we work to tell people about Jesus, but then help point them towards uh, a different type of life. So I often say that we're a ministry that gives a hand up, not just a handout. So we're going to flip on the screen to a picture of a guy. How many of you guys have seen someone that looks similar to this sometime in the past few weeks, whether it was in downtown Greenville or getting off the exit off of uh, 85 or 385? This is a familiar sight in Greenville today. So um, imagine for a minute that you wake up and you're in the woods. Maybe you have a tent, maybe you don't have a tent. Imagine not knowing where your next meal will come from. Imagine not knowing if you're going to have anybody who will say hello to you today or if they'll just avoid you. Well, this is the reality for 3,000 people every year in the upstate of South Carolina. That's a lot of folks. 
There's a lot of folks out there that don't know where they're going to stay or where a meal's coming from, um, or even if anybody cares about them at all. So when I say 3,000, that's not an exaggeration. It's actually 3,281 people experience homelessness in the upstate of South Carolina in a given year. I learned a statistic uh, a couple of years ago that was uh, the most shocking homelessness statistic to me. So Greenville County Schools measures homelessness in their student population each year. Now they use a very specific definition to measure that uh, under the McKinney-Vento Act. But uh, last year in Greenville County Schools, 1,148 school-aged children were considered homeless. That's a lot of kids. You know, one of the saddest things that you'll see if you're so inclined to go look at it on a given day is watching school buses pull up to homeless shelters or crack motels. And that happens every day right down the road from here. Um, when kids are having to go into an area that is giving them somewhere to stay, but that is scary, and then getting on a bus where all of their friends see them living in that type of situation. I'm guessing when you see this picture that you don't know what to do, right? You see the guy with the sign and you get lost. Like, what is my responsibility as a Christian? What is the thing that I'm supposed to do to help this individual. And so what most people do is nothing. We pass the person. We avoid the situation. We think to ourselves, man, should I give this $5 bill? Should I not give this $5 bill? And I don't know what to do, so the light changes and I keep moving forward. You know, prior to the Great Depression, the church was responsible for all social services across the planet. It was us. It was us in this room that knew exactly what to do to help this person. So what I want to do is walk through this passage in John 5. And here's the good news. I believe that in this passage, it gives us the answer of what we should do with brokenness in our life. And it also helps to equip us to know what to do to help this individual as they are dealing with brokenness in their life. So let's jump into the passage. We'll walk through it kind of step by step. We'll look for Jesus's instructions to us on how we care for ourselves and how we care for others. So I was very thankful that you guys already read through the whole passage, so I don't have to, and I can just jump straight into it. Um, all right, so we deal with brokenness every day in our lives. You know, that's whether in our own lives or with our families or our friends or people we interact with in the workplace. This is something that is super uh, normal in our lives. And when we look through the gospel specifically, we see that Jesus performed all these miracles when there is brokenness that exists. Specifically, he, he, um, there were somewhere between 34 and 38 miracles that Jesus himself performed in the four gospels, depending on which translation or which uh, theologian that you tend to talk to. So uh, some that come to mind that you're real familiar with, right? Like water into wine, first miracle. Uh, the demoniac, the person with the withered hand, the legion of demons that goes into the pigs, or the raising of Lazarus, right? Like him performing miracles is something that we are used to reading about. But those are in there because each miracle 
has a message and has a purpose that we are supposed to gather from it. So John 5, this passage about the man at the pool, contains this very specific instance of healing. Uh, if you want to go watch it, go watch uh, season two, episode four of The Chosen, and you can actually see this as it's enacted. This very specific instance where someone is broken and they cannot fix the brokenness in their lives. I think this passage has within it the answer to addiction, to homelessness, to brokenness in whatever form. So let's jump into verse two. It says, now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. So uh, throughout history, people have wondered if this was real, right? So there's all these questions about Christianity and these places and things that happened. Well, it's been unearthed. So there is a picture of it. It was a very real place. And essentially what this pool was, was the modern day street corner. So this was the place where anybody who was experiencing brokenness, as we'll see uh, the, the man in this passage, that they would go down there each and every day and they would sit beside the pool and they would beg for bread. They would beg, beg for money, whatever they needed throughout the day. And uh, people would come by and they would often give them something. Um, but the people believed that every once in a while, an invisible creature would stir the water in the pool. And whoever was the first person into the pool would receive healing. Now history has taught us that the pool was actually sat on top of the aqueduct system going into the city. So the stirring of the water was not some invisible creature. It was literally water moving through the city and stirring. But that doesn't really matter. The point is that people believed that there was some magical healing found within the water. And this is an instance of misplaced faith. You can see a flaw in their thinking right off the hand. So uh, let me ask you a question. This is a real uh, question response situation. If you're blind, what's the problem? You can't see it. If you're paralyzed, what's the problem? You can't get to it, right? So people are putting their faith and their trust in a thing that cannot actually provide any healing in their life. We do this too. We put our faith and our trust in something thinking that it can provide healing to some situation in our lives. We say statements in our heads like, um, if I can good, just get this job, everything will be okay. If I can just find this $5,000 that I need, everything will be okay. If I can just repair this relationship, everything will be okay. We think that by changing some external circumstance that our life will be markedly different. But let me ask you, in your experience, this is not an actual question. When you get that $5,000, is everything okay? No. Might be for a moment. It might be for a second. But oftentimes we have the same barriers in our lives that prevent us from seeing, seeing the situation that can truly bring us healing. So verse 3 says, In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. So I went back to the Greek preparing for this um, opportunity 
to make sure that we really understand what these words mean. All right. So invalid means to be weak physically, then morally and or sick. All right. So an invalid is anybody who has is considered to have weakness. Blind. Uh, it literally means physically or mentally. I thought that was super fascinating the first time that I looked this up. When I think blind, I automatically think that you can't see. Um, but if you take it a step further, we can be mentally blind to the reality that we have in our lives. We can be mentally blind to the truth of the scripture. We can be blind to what Jesus is trying to show us about our own lives. Lame. Lame means deprived of a foot, limping, or not working as normal. So I spent uh, a fair amount of my youth in addiction. I certainly can see how I fit into these categories, right? I can see how I was blind to the reality of the world around us. And I can think of uh, instances where I was lame, where things were not working as they should. An example would be, I used to be scared to go into the grocery store. That seems like a silly thing, but I was scared to interact with other human beings that might see me for who I am. Here's another example. I used to be scared when the phone would ring because I didn't know who it was or what they would say. So I would sit there and I would stare at the phone while it rang. Actually, the phone was on a wall at this time, but I would stare at the phone while it rang, scared to death to answer it, and then the little voicemail box would start blinking and I would be scared to listen to it. Guys, that's, that's lame. That's not working the way that things should. The last descriptive that is used here is paralyzed, which means dry, withered, from a dry land. It's the idea of something that's been frozen. And when I think of something that's been frozen, I think of fear. I think about the inability for us to move, whether physically or mentally. So I found that when I start talking about things like this and I show the picture of the guy with the sign on his front, that, uh, that the crowd, wherever I'm talking, they often just think about those individuals. So I have a list in my hand where I'm going to attempt to level the playing field. So the list I have in my hand is the top 10 addictions in the United States of America. So working our way away from our shelters, let's see how many of us I can pick off with our top 10 list, okay? Number one addiction in the United States, coffee. Hold them up, who's got them? Make no mistake, caffeine is an addictive substance. When you don't have your coffee in the morning and you get a headache, that's called withdrawal, okay? That is a very real addictive substance. More money is spent on coffee than just about any other addictive substance in the United States. Matter of fact, I saw some Starbucks. Some people are paying $5 for a cup of coffee. Number two, tobacco. So smoking is related. How many deaths worldwide would you think? 1.3 billion deaths each year are connected to smoking. Number three, alcohol. Now we're getting to something you would think would be on the list. 
Um, I think that if alcohol was created today, it would not have been made legal. Uh, it's connected to more than 60 types of diseases, cancers, contributes to murders, and alcohol-related deaths by the tens of thousands each and every year. Number four, sexual addiction. Uh, it's estimated that 8% of men, and let me be real clear that when I'm giving these statistics, this includes the church. We're not excluded from these statistics. 8% of men, 3% of women, um, have some type of sexual addiction, and it is the number one addiction that is taking out pastors in the United States each and every year. The number one thing that pulls men from the pulpit. Number five, illegal and prescription drugs. We're going to bunch them all together. So when you go to the dentist and you get a prescription for hydrocodone, there is no chemical difference between that and heroin. It's the exact same substance. It's just in a different level of um, purity. 13% of Americans have a regular opiate prescription, hydrocodone or others. 5.2% of Americans have a prescription to benzodiazepines. Uh, that's your Valiums and your Xanaxes. And of all the drugs on the planet, that if you try to get off of them, there's only two of them that can kill you if you try to stop using them. Alcohol and benzodiazepines. 5% of the population has uh, regular prescriptions to that. Gambling's number six. 2% uh, of the population, which seems really small, but that is 6.5 million people in America have a gambling addiction. Uh, number seven, here's where I start uh, picking off the younger people, video games. Okay, video games are becoming a real issue in our society as they are ruining social interaction and relationships. Number eight is food, which is, again, 2% of the population. Again, 6.5 million people. Number nine is work. Uh, you know, when people choosing work over personal relationships, issues evolve. And then number 10, here's where I get everybody else. I bet you guys can guess. Number 10. All right, let's see how honest we're going to be as a church this morning. The last thing you put down at night before you go to sleep is your phone. Raise your hand. The first thing that you pick up in the morning when you wake up is your phone. Raise your hand. If you justify it that your alarm's on it, raise your hand. <laughs> okay. Man, what is the first thing we should be picking up? What is the last thing we should be putting down? And we, again, justify it that we got the Bible app on our phone. But this is a real problem. This is a real problem. When you leave home and you forget it and you're instantly filled with anxiety, guess what, guys? You're the guy at the pool. You're putting your faith in a thing. You're putting your hopes in a technological advancement. It is a problem. That is not what God intended for us.
So let's go to verse 5. One man who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. So uh, I started using drugs and alcohol when I was very young, before I left elementary school. And that seems like extreme, I'm sure, to some of you. That's super common for a kid to first experiment with alcohol or drugs before they hit middle school. Um, I stayed in my addiction for a long period of time. So there's a number attached to it, right? Like there's an amount of years. If you go to a Miracle Hill facility right now, you'll find hundreds of individuals that have been stuck in some type of sin, some type of brokenness for a long period of time. We do the same thing. We get stuck in something for a long period of time. In a very real way, I think that the people that are in our addiction recovery programs have it easier than a lot of us sitting in a church pew this Sunday. Because the people in our addiction recovery programs, if they're doing the wrong thing, they're strung out homeless on the street because of some terrible drug addiction. While someone else can be stuck in a sin, stuck in brokenness for 40 years, and maybe it's socially acceptable. Maybe it's something that is okay in society and they never address it. They never look at this area where they are idolizing something above Jesus. We all do it. There aren't any exceptions. If we think deeply about our lives, we all have idols. We all have things that we go to that are, in reality, a place that we are putting something before Jesus. There are misplaced faith. There are things. There are reason that we are stuck at the, at the pool. All right, so this is where the, the story gets really interesting. Verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? It's a really fascinating question. He doesn't ask him if he wants to be relieved of his issues. He doesn't ask him if he wants medicine for an ailment. He asks him if he wants to be healed. The, it's the idea of complete and total change. It's the idea that I once was lost, but now I'm. I once was blind, but now I. You get the idea. He's asking him, do you want your life to be completely different? Do you want this brokenness eradicated and gone? The word that we see is healed there means sound, healthy, pure, and whole. And I love that idea. Jesus asks him if he wants to be whole. Whole. Um, this is the same question that Jesus asks each and every one of us, right? He asks us once we know him. Do you want your life to be whole? Do you want it to be sound? Do you want it to be full? Do you want it to be reflective of me or reflective of the world? Um, we can trust him. We can answer the question. Or we can sit by the pool. We can sit by this place of misplaced faith. And we can wait for something different. And the guy answers him in verse 7 the same way we often do. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. So Jesus says, Do you want to change? And instead of answering him, the guy gives him an excuse why he can't. 
right? So Jesus asks him a specific question and the guy gives an excuse. Again, we all do this. We, Jesus says, do you want to be closer to me? And we say, I'll start doing my quiet time next week. Jesus says, do you want to have a, um, a, a pure relationship with your spouse? And we say, man, I don't have any accountability and I'm scared to tell anybody that I'm struggling with pornography, so I'm not going to. Jesus asks, if, asks us if we want to be well and we make an excuse on why we can't. Or we try to exchange one sin for another. So in the cases of many of our guests, they may be uh, an alcoholic who drinks a fifth of uh, uh, liquor every day and they say, well, I'm going to stop drinking liquor and I'll just drink beer. Right? Or I'm going to stop smoking crack, but I'm just going to smoke a little bit of weed. Right? Um, Probably five times in the past 10 years, uh, my wife and I have pulled uh, social media off our phones, okay? So we recognize that social media has become an issue, that we're spending too much time on the Facebook or the Instagram or the Twitter or fill in the blank, and so we uh, delete all of those apps off our phone. Okay, who's done this? Am I the only one in here? All right, so I'm seeing some hands go up. And then a few weeks, a few months go by, and I justify it, right? I'm like, well, I just really want to keep up with the news, so I'm going to put Twitter back on. And then a few months go by, and um, an aunt texts and says, hey, I've been trying to reach you on Facebook, and I can't, so I'm actually having to interact with you as a human being. And we say, oh, well, in that case, I need to download Facebook again, right? Like, we justify it. We know this thing that is keeping us at this point of brokenness. We know we need to get rid of it, but we, we justify why it, is, uh, why it should still exist in our life. So the guy, Jesus asks him if he wants to get well, and the guy makes an excuse of why he can't. Verse 8 and 9, Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed, and he walked. All right, so Jesus heals a whole bunch of people a whole bunch of different ways, right? Uh, somebody touches his cloak. He puts mud in somebody's eyes. But in this instance, he issues a command. All right, so I'm going to try to stay away from the deep theological issue at hand here. But Jesus issued a verbal command to a man. And everything in that man's life would have told him that he cannot do what Jesus is telling him to do. So the man has been lame and by this pool for 38 years. You guys ever seen pictures of the Holocaust? You seen pictures of somebody whose muscles are completely atrophied? Well, imagine that for this man. This man has not walked on his own in almost 40 years. Jesus tells him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And the man would have looked at himself and thought, there is no way that I can do that. Now, people often misquote the Bible and say that it says, uh, God helps those who help themselves. And that's not found in the Bible. But the idea is in this passage. Essentially what Jesus is saying to the man is, 
If you want change, if you want to be healed, if you want your life to be different, I will give you every bit of power and strength under my authority that you need to do it. But you've got to get up. You've got to pick up your mat and you've got to walk. Man, I imagine the struggle in that man's head. He doesn't know Jesus. He's being told something that there is no physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual reason that he should be able to do. Everything in his body screamed at him that he could not do it. Now, I don't know whether the man could have not done it. Uh, We'll never know. In this case, the man made a, made a decision. And before I move on to the next passage, let me point to the mat. So it's interesting that Jesus says, get up, take up your bed and walk. Right? Why does he tell him to take up his bed? Matter of fact, by telling him to take up his bed, he's instructing him to break the law. The Jewish law was you couldn't move things on the Sabbath. Right? So he's telling him to do something that is against the law as part of this interesting moment of healing. I think the reason that the bed is so important is because Jesus wants him to know that not only will you receive healing, but you're no longer going to be identified at this pool. Like this isn't your house. This is not who you are. If you get up and you walk away, then you need to take that identity as a 38-year-long, lame, broken human being, and you need to eradicate that as part of your identity. There is no place for you at this pool. So you pick up your mat, and you take it away from here, and you're now going to be identified as whole, healed, pure, unbroken. That's the offer. You can't get up, walk away, and then come back to the pool. Unfortunately, that's often what people do. You know, over the years, I've had the, um, the joy of watching people get up and walk away from the pool at Miracle Hill thousands of times. I've watched people interact with the living God and have their life shifted on its axis and then walk away. And then sometime later, I turn around and there they are back at the pool. There they are back at their brokenness. There they are identifying themselves and making excuses and putting their faith back in a thing or a substance or some type of brokenness that Jesus does not intend uh, for them to any longer identify themselves at. And I think we all do the exact same thing. Every one of us in this room, if you know Jesus, you can pinpoint some moment where, where it's real for you, where it became real that you were following Jesus. And you can identify moments in your life when you felt super close to him, where you felt like you were connected to him, that you were walking with him in life. And if I was a betting man, I bet you can also identify moments when you found yourself at the pool. When you found yourself 
far away from Jesus, far away from the promises that he gave you, far away from um, the trusted communication in both directions. So we get to verse 14, and it says, Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. It doesn't say anywhere in the passage that the man was lame for 38 years because of sin, right? Sometimes people have trauma and brokenness in their life because of their life. We have no reason to believe it's any way other for this man. But Jesus does say to him, see you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. So I get the uh, pleasure of preaching at our rescue missions and at our addiction recovery programs often. And um, when I'm at the addiction recovery programs, there's often some new guys, you know, sitting in the room that have just gotten there and uh, they're unsure of what they want to do. And they're certainly unsure of this Jesus thing. And so I lay it out for them and I say, if you're not sure if you want to live a different life, then you should probably run away now. Because if you come to know Jesus and you try to go back, you're going to be miserable. Man, we do it too. We find healing. We find Christ. We change our life. And then we try to go back to these empty wells, these points of brokenness. And man, it's miserable, isn't it? Can I get an amen on that? It's miserable when we try to do that. And that's kind of Christ's point. See you are well. Sin no more. That nothing worse may happen to you. My very first job with Miracle Hill, I worked in our food warehouse. And um, uh, I would check in people as they came in to get food boxes throughout the day. We would give out a number of food boxes. And then they would check in with me, and they would go hang out with some prayer counselors. Uh, and then they would get their food box. And I remember this one day, um, this, this man came in, and the man was in his mid-80s. And I checked him in for the food box, and he went to see the prayer counselor that was in the cubicle behind me. And um, the prayer counselor said, um, hey, can I, can I tell you about Jesus? Can I pray for you? And the man said, um, uh, young man, I've been going to church since I was five years old. I know way more than you do about all these situations that you're trying to tell me about, and I got plenty of prayer. And for some reason, the prayer counselor felt bold in that moment and presented the gospel. And that, that man said to him, I've never heard that. I've been in church for 70-something years, and I've never heard how I can get up and walk away from the pool. And he accepted Christ. Right? He was in his late 80s, mid-80s, somewhere in there. He accepted Christ, and uh, I'd like to believe that his life was uh, forever shifted in that moment in time. We're really talking about two things here, right? The first idea is that we accept Jesus is who Jesus is, and we come to know him as Lord and Savior. I think that that's true for most of us in this room. The second idea is that you may know Jesus as Lord and Savior and still be going to these empty wells, still be going to these points of brokenness, still be putting your faith in things that God never intended for you to 
uh, put them in. So let's, let's apply the passage, and I'm running long. See, Kaylin knows me. If Kaylin wanted me to speak for uh, 10 minutes, she would tell me that I had five minutes for an event. So uh, Stephen probably told me that I had, I had too much time. Uh, so let's try to apply it really, really quickly. All right, uh, number one, what we should take from this passage is that God cares about the individual. There are examples where God performs miracles for thousands, but in this instance and in many of those 34 to 38 instances in the scripture, it's him coming for the one not for the 99. Second point I want you to take away. Uh, Christ is the giver of power to the powerless who choose to trust him. The key to that is that we have to admit that we are powerless. What we try to do is try to fix the problem on our own, try to crawl into the pool when the water is stirred instead of admitting that we can't fix it on our own and putting our trust in someone who can the third point I want you to take away is do what God says even if it doesn't make sense so when when Jesus says get up pick up your mat and walk that did not make sense to that man in any way shape or form oftentimes God does the same thing with us he tells us he asks us to do something that makes no sense based on what we want to do in our lives that same first job uh, that I had with Miracle Hill, we had a truck. And the, the truck was the truck that we would go out and pick up food to bring back to the food ministry to, to share with all of our shelters. And the truck's name was JJ. So I, uh, I learned to drive JJ, and I would drive around and, and pick up food. And one day, I asked my boss, I said, why is the truck's name JJ? And he said, because JJ stands for Jehovah Jireh. That's what we sang about first thing this morning. Jireh, forever enough, more than enough. Jireh means the Lord who provides. So God asks us to do these crazy things, and he will provide. Whatever it is that we need, he will provide, but we have to place our trust in him. Next point, our identity cannot remain in what it used to be. Think about the mat. You've got to pick up your mat and walk away, right? You cannot keep your identity in your brokenness. You have to move away from that and go towards the direction that Christ is calling you to do. And then the last point, which I'm, not, I'm, I'm pulling kind of extra out of the passage. Uh, trusting him with a little makes it a lot easier to trust him with a lot. So when he said, pick up your mat and walk to this guy, that was a big ask. Those of us that know him, he is asking us to do things all the time, whether it's pray on a regular basis or be in his word on a regular basis. And when we trust him with these little things, it's going to make it a lot easier when he asks us to do something big like get up, pick up our mat. And walk away from a pool. The guy in the story had a big ask. Uh, we can strengthen our faith by trusting him in a little. A lot of people, when they come to faith, they want to know if God answers prayers. Here's a newsflash, guys. There's only one way to find out. You got to pray. He's never going to answer a prayer that you don't pray. 
And so people may walk in the faith for some period of years and be like, man, the Lord has never been answering my prayers. And my question to them would be, well, how often are you talking to him? Because he can't, he can't show you he's trustworthy if we don't put some trust in him and walk with him with the little things in life. So let's go by back to the guy. So what do we do with this guy? Go to the next slide for me. I've talked about what this means for us, but we see this guy, and I still believe that the church is, is the entity that God calls to help this guy. So the first thing that we need to do is walk away from our own fools in our own lives. And the next thing that we need to do, and I'm certainly biased from an Acts 1-8 perspective, I'm called to Jerusalem, right? And so I want us to help those that are experiencing homelessness. So I think the church, what we need to do is we need to get educated on the issues, understand them, understand how to help an individual that's got the sign on the side of the road. I think that we need to give of our, um, our time, our talents, and our treasures to help those individuals. Now, I'm the first person to say you should never, ever, ever give money, right? Instead, try partnering with an organization that is doing that work and give up your time in that direction. We can contribute, uh, maybe most importantly, through prayer. Man, if you don't feel safe interacting with that guy, you can certainly stop and pray for him. You can contribute with who you are as a human being. Because guess what, guys? That individual in that picture is made in the image of God, same as all of us, right? And that individual in that picture is somebody's son. I don't know anything else about him, but that's somebody's child, right? So we can pray for him, first and foremost, to know the Lord. We can build a relationship with him. We can... Um, find an opportunity to uh, interact. So when I see that guy, I'm that guy's worst nightmare, right? So I do this for a living. So uh, that, guy, that guy in that picture is most likely looking for money and I'm, I'm gonna come in and engage. So much so that my wife refuses to go on dates in downtown Greenville with okay? <laughs> I'm not allowed in downtown Greenville when my wife's with me because I spend the whole time talking to individuals. Um, but, if, if you see that person and you don't know what you're supposed to do, I'm going to equip you right now. Here's the, here's the only thing you need in your head. Fill the need, not the greed. Okay? So if that person says they need food, give them some food. That's not a bad thing. If you feel like it's safe, the next step would be to say, hey, I understand that you're hungry. Let's walk over here to Burger King and I'll buy you something to eat, and we can chat for a few minutes. If you can develop a relationship, then you can point them back towards the organizations that are there to help, like Miracle Hill, like mental health, like a detox facility. And then the last thing uh, that you can do to help that individual is you can advocate for it. So as you see laws come down that are um, helpful or hurtful to people that are broken, then advocate. Talk to your lawmakers. Talk to people in your neighborhoods. Make sure everybody's aware of how they can help. So in closing, um, for most churches and most people in churches, 
the pool of Bethesda is invisible. We come to church and we put on our best suit and the best version of ourselves. And we're on our best behavior. And man, we don't dare talk about our sin. Man, that is not what God intended. God intended for this to be the safest possible place where we can talk about these areas of our life where we're, we're misplacing our faith, where we find brokenness in our own lives so that we can hear those words, do you want to be healed? Get up, pick up your mat and walk. That's what we try to do each and every, each and every day at Miracle Hill is introduce the, um, our guests to the same Jesus that said that to the man so many years ago. And I would encourage you as we close in prayer to dig deep into your own hearts, dig deep into your own existence and find those places where you are misplacing your faith and trust him. Pick up your mat and walk away from him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you, Lord. We we thank you for today. We thank you for waking us up and for giving us yet again another opportunity to serve you. Father, I know that uh, even as I'm walking through this passage, I am thinking in my head of areas of my own life that I know that I am not trusting you. I know that I am not um, walking away from the pool. And so, Father, I pray that you would um, teach me how to do that. I pray that you would teach all of us the places that we are um, not trusting you and that you would teach us to trust you more deeply today. Father, uh, for each individual that we see on the street that clearly is experiencing some level of brokenness, Father, you have a purpose for their life. Lord, they have value. You made them. You've counted the hairs on their head. So teach us how to love them too. Teach us how to come alongside them and help them to walk away from those pools. Father, at the end of the day, for those of us that know Jesus, we pray that you'd help us to be a little bit more like him today than we were yesterday. And Father, for those, if there's anyone in the room that does not know you, that maybe finds themselves stuck at the pool, Lord, help them to trust you for the first time so that they can pick up their mat and they can walk away. We love him. In Jesus' name, amen. so much for sharing this morning. That was great. Um, I know that as a church and as both of these churches, we love Miracle Hill. Um, and I know that if you're with Deneen and you're looking for ways to get involved, talk to Stephen, talk to Kaylin, they will point you. If you're with the Origins, talk to Zach. We have men that are at the Rescue Shell Rescue Mission every week. We have women that are at Shepherd's Gate two to three times a month. And there are plenty of opportunities to invest and partner with what they're doing. Like there's no reason for a church in Greenville to invent a homeless ministry when Miracle Hill is in our city. They are already doing it. They're doing it for the right reason. They're doing it with integrity. And they're doing it stinking well. And so what we do is we say, thank you. How can we help? And so as, as two churches here in this city, we have a great opportunity to do that. But another opportunity that we have is just to pray for what they do. Um, like when we talk about Miracle Hill to people that we don't know, we tell them you guys do good on a level that you, most people cannot comprehend. The amount of things that you do, and I'm not trying to make you feel good, but at the same time I am. You guys do something amazing from providing food to providing shelter to providing education 
to providing a way out of addiction, a way out of trauma, a way towards hope that can only be found in Jesus. You guys do it well, and we want to say thank you. And so the other thing that we can do, if you can't actually be on site on, on Thursday afternoons or Thursday right after lunch or Thursday evenings at Shepherd's Gate, is you can do exactly what he said. You can just pray. Pray for them to find favor with people that don't know what that looks like. Pray for them to lead people to hope who haven't tasted it or touched it in their entire life. Because God's using them and he'll continue. But he needs us as people's, as God's faithful people to partner with them in prayer, in, in personality, in provision, in placement, and in, in proximity. All of those P's. He needs all of those. And so begin with prayer. And so we just want to pray for you guys, and then we're going to get out of here. So thank you guys for being here today. God, we love you. Thank you for loving us. There's great need here in this city. Some needs that we've, we've never even come close to experiencing. Some that, that we can't possibly imagine the depth of uh, depravity that people are living in. But you know, and you've called us to intercede on their behalf. You've called us to speak. You've called us to do all those things that Ryan so appropriately talked about. Of just building a relationship, asking questions, meeting a need, uh, going beyond our place of comfort. And listening for your spirit to guide us in those things. God, I pray that we'd be obedient to the way that you work. Pray that we'd be obedient to the mission that you created before we were even a glimmer in our parents' eyes. Um, God, I pray we'd be obedient. God, for Ryan and uh, the team at Miracle Hill who leads faithfully, who does their best uh, just to, to be obedient to the calling that you've placed on them. God, I pray for blessings for them. Um, not blessings according to the world and the way that they define greatness, but according to your kingdom. Blessings that match uh, with your economy. Blessings that match with uh, the way that you meet needs. Blessings that match the way in which you direct us to your goodness. God, I pray you take care of them. I pray you give them favor uh, to the people that are out there struggling to find hope, that have no idea what it smells like, what it looks like, what it feels like. God, I pray you give them favor with them. I pray for the interactions that they will have this week, next week, and the many weeks to come uh, with people that just need to hear that they are loved, they are valued, there's a place for them, and there's healing that awaits them if they just get up, pick up their bed, and walk. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for guiding us. God, thank you for organizations like Miracle Hill that are trustworthy, um, not just praise and honor, but partnership. I pray that we partner well uh, and show them that we appreciate what they do. Um, and more importantly, value what you're doing in this city through people like them. God, we love you. We thank you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Everyone have a great week.